Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is October 3rd, uh, Tuesday, October 3rd. Great show today, guys. Bob Nightingale uh, going to join us again. Recurring guest breaking down the MLB playoffs. Wild card matchups start tonight. Uh, he has all the teams, all the breakdown, uh, chances going far, what teams are not going to go far, what teams will go far, what teams are going to surprise you. And his uh, his pick for the World Series champion might also surprise you. And he's going to explain why that is. And like I said, great interview with him coming up. And like always, guys, on our uh, Tuesday show, going to break down week uh, week four of the NFL. Got to talk about the Ryder Cup, though, first. Abysmal showing by Team USA. Uh, Europe now has seven straight wins at home, dating back to 1993. Uh, the team was anemic. Max Homa was the only one that was really playing well. Uh, three, three for one for one. Uh, three wins, one, one, one tie, and one loss. The rest of the Team USA didn't show up at all. What do you guys think on the Ryder Cup? I mean, America, again, a bad showing uh, on uh, European soil. Bad showing for Team USA in Europe. I mean, Europe had the home field advantage and just destroyed it just won it all you can't win the golf tournament or in this case the Ryder cup on day one but you can certainly lose it and that's what happened with the united states they fell behind four nothing real quick and despite playing somewhat even the rest of the way no chance of ever catching up never really threatened and outside of Max Homa, everybody was not good. I mean, Scotty Scheffler and Brooks Kepka are two of the greatest players on the planet, won the first two majors this year. They lost nine and seven. That is almost impossible to do. That is just, that's amateur stuff right there. And I don't know if it's, you know, Zach Johnson was saying that people were sick and all that kind of stuff. I think some of his captain's picks were wrong. That's what I think. And seven straight losses on European soil, That that's just... That's not getting it done, and Zach Johnson won't be captaining anytime soon again, and that's about as disappointing of a showing as the Ryder Cup as the, the Americans have had in a very long time. First time uh, in the history of the Ryder Cup that uh, Europe swept in the opening session on Friday, the first day of the Ryder Cup. America still owns the overall series in the Ryder Cup, but since joining back in 1979, Europe joining back in 1979, Europe has a 12 to 9 to 1 advantage over Americans in the Ryder Cup. So since joining, I mean, America has basically falling, been falling under Europe, especially, like I said, in European soil. Um, roughly, you know, you know, 70, you know, 25 percent of the time uh, they've been falling in Europe. So. Let's move on, though, guys. Drew Holiday. Uh, I, I want to touch on this brief. I mean, we kind of knew this was going to happen. We talked about Lance. We've talked about this with Lance Allen on our interview on Saturday's show as well. He predicted Drew Holiday was not going to stay in Portland long. Already shipped out. Only a day after the deal went down, the three-team deal that ultimately got Damian Lillard to Milwaukee. Drew Holiday's out. Last year, uh, for uh, for the Bucks, he, he averaged uh, he averaged 19.3 points, 7.4 assists per game in his 76 games that he played. My biggest takeaway from this, the Celtics now have a replacement for Marcus Smart. Uh, Holiday, not young by any means, 33 years old, but Marcus Smart they left a huge defensive hole for the Celtics when he left, and now I think Drew Holiday is going to fill that pretty pretty well for the team. 
Yeah, I think so. And this is the best move the Celtics could have made after uh, not after the Bucks ended up getting Damian Lillard. And you could argue about who's the favorite. I would still say it's Milwaukee at this point. But no question, getting Drew Holiday, you get veteran leadership. You get a guy who's been in a lot of big games, has won a championship, had one of the most famous alley-oop passes in the history of the NBA Finals. And you get a defensive leader that's going to help mitigate the loss of Marcus Smart. And you knew that Portland wasn't going to keep Drew Holiday. I said it the other day. I didn't think they were going to keep him. And that turned out to be the case. I think it's a great move for the Celtics. And a good move for Drew Holiday because he gets to stay on a contending team and I'll tell you what, that, those top two in the Eastern Conference next year, that's going to be a heck of a series. could be a six, seven-game Eastern Conference Finals. That's going to be a war when they those two teams play. Easily, the Celtics are probably the first or second best team in the Eastern Conference, as you just said, Zach. And don't forget that, the, uh, that this is a uh, strategical move by the Celtics as well. Very strategical move. At point guard after Marcus Smart leaves, after they traded Marcus Smart. And it's a good good move by the Celtics to really cement themselves in the top two of the East. And maybe even maybe not top two in the league, but top five in the league. Yeah, I'm gonna go back to what you just said, Zach, a little bit ago. Do you think there's any chance, guys, Milwaukee and Celtics are not the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. Well, there's a chance, obviously, yeah. but depending I mean, on injuries and in all likelihood, they're gonna play in the Eastern Conference Finals. So I just opened up FanDuel because I, I was curious about this. They, they're they actually – so they're tied. Milwaukee and Boston are tied for, with the same odds to win the Eastern Conference, both at plus 175. The the next highest or next closest, whatever you want to call it, however you want to say it, Cleveland Cavaliers at plus 750 and the Sixers at plus 1,000. Um, so, yeah, definitely very, very good chance Milwaukee and Boston will be the two teams in the Eastern Conference Uh uh, Eastern Conference Finals next year. Breaking down the trade a little bit, Celtics acquired all-star point guard point guard Drew Holiday, like we just said, from Portland. The Trailblazers, uh, you know, they exchanged Robert Williams III for him, Malcolm Brogdon, and a 2024 first-round pick and an unprotected 2029 first-round pick in the deal. Uh, like we said before, when this deal first broke down on our show on Thursday, last Thursday, Portland... Not not focus on winning now. They just want to build up their team for four five years in the future. Let's move on, guys. Week three or uh, week four, NFL. Like we always do, give our predictions on Thursday or on the Saturday show. Excuse me about closest game, most intriguing, and then on Tuesday show we actually say which games were in those categories. Um, Zach, let's start us off. For you, what was the closest game uh, this week, week four NFL? Yeah, it has to be the Eagles and the Commanders. It's probably the game of the day. I mean, you watch those two quarterbacks go back and forth. I think Sam Howell showed a lot, even in defeat, with that great drive at the very end, aided by A.J. Brown's taunting penalty. But you watch Sam Howell play. It looks like the Commanders might actually have a quarterback for the first time in a long time. And then on the other side for the Eagles, Jalen Hurts, 319 yards, two touchdowns on a day that they didn't really run the ball, which is a little surprising. DeAndre Swift, only 56 yards, the leading rusher in the game. Kenneth Gamewell was the only other running back to carry the rock in this game, but it was A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. That was the passing game that got it done. You look at the Eagles, people have talked about, oh, well, they don't look like the same dominant team that they did last year, but they're 4-0, and they're right where they want to be. Right now, you're probably looking at them as either the best team in the NFC. It's either them or the 49ers, I think, at this point. But this was the game of the day. The Commanders know how to play the Eagles, and that 
I'm, I think Washington's going to be a threat to make the playoffs. The Eagles still are the standard in the NFC right now. Yeah, October 29th, Eagles go to D.C. That game's already circled for me. That game's going to be amazing. Uh, if you guys remember, uh, and I forgot about this until the announcer said it, uh, Commanders last year were actually the team that ended up uh, blowing, or not blowing, but ended up, uh, you know. Beating the Eagles in the first the, game. The, the Eagles, mm-hmm. yeah, the Eagles uh, win streak last year. And another tough another tough game again when they played them. Yeah, Zach, I agree, though, uh, the connection between AJ Brown and Jalen Hurts that has seen pretty severed all season long finally is back together. Finally, the connection is, uh, you know, uh, confirmed again, uh, Brown non-reception 175 yards, two touchdowns. My only other takeaway from this game, uh, this game was a little bit closer than it had to be at the very end of the game. Eagles, uh, scored a touchdown a little bit faster than they had to, uh, Hurts, uh, you know, hit Brown in the end zone. Like we, like we said, 28 yard touchdown with, one minute and 28 seconds left. They easily could have taken off more time in that game. They could have taken off way more time on the clock. Uh, not, a, not a whole lot of respect for Sam Howe. Sam Howe did eventually end up taking them all the way back, as we know, uh, to score, to tie the game up, and actually send the game into overtime. Eagles need to be more disciplined. Six penalties in the second half alone. That almost cost them the game right there and there. I mean, defense... Played well. Offense, still a bit of a struggle for the Eagles. Still finding their identity, but discipline and the turnovers have to be uh, uh, solved and have to be addressed by the Eagles going forward. Justin, how about you? Was this your closest game as well? Very, very much. My head was going to explode. <laughs> that's how that's how close it was for me. And it was a good win. It was a good win. The defense, I know the defense struggled, but the offense is right back together. This offense can win. This offense, either running the ball 30 times, passing the ball 30 times, they they put up numbers and they put up more than 30 points a game. This team can win. This team is still the top team in the NFC, but the Commanders, they play the Eagles tough. They play the Eagles very tough, and as we said, they beat the, was the Eagles' first loss at home and on the season last year was against the Commanders, and that's Eagles, Commanders, that's a rivalry to look out for in the NFC East, along with the Cowboys. I mean, the Eagles play mostly their better games in the division against the Giants than they do the Cowboys and the Commanders. Both Dallas and Washington give them a run for their money. I agree. Like I said, October 29th, Eagles go Mm -hmm. to D.C. Going to be a great game. Zach, keep us going. Most intriguing storyline of week four. Yeah, I would say the most intriguing storyline from this week would be the fact that the Buffalo Bills are back as far as back to being one of the favorites in the AFC. And I think they've reminded people, yeah, the Dolphins are the new flavor of the month, but Buffalo just dominated this game from the very start. First five drives of the game were touchdowns for both teams, and then Buffalo put the clamps on them. Josh Allen, four touchdown passes, rushed for a touchdown as well. He was the best quarterback in this game by a large margin. The Dolphins still can't win in Buffalo. And even though they didn't really run the ball on the day, but they they ran it 29 times, 104 yards, only 3.6 yards per carry, but it was effective enough to keep the Dolphins on the sideline. Stephon Diggs, three touchdowns, had a big day, and the defense really stepped up against a Dolphins unit that scored 70 last week, holding them to 20 points. Very impressive. You can talk about the Chiefs. You can talk about the Dolphins right now as the best teams in the AFC, but you cannot leave the Buffalo Bills out of that conversation. In fact, 
you could make the argument they are the team to beat in the AFC, or at least 1B with Kansas City right now. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get to that game more, especially once we start talking about the shootouts, uh, shootout of week four. My uh, most intriguing storyline, uh, and another thing we'll probably talk about more as we go along in this show, Zach Wilson outplayed Patrick Mahomes Sunday night. Uh, Wilson played pretty well, 28 for 39, just under 250 yards with two touchdowns. Uh, you could argue that Jets would have won this game if it wasn't for that really bad penalty call against Sauce Gardner at the very end of the game. The holding call that should not have been a holding call, you know, as social media is saying, as everyone on the media is saying right now. Jets might have won that game last night if it wasn't for a bad penalty call at the very end of the game. Zach Wilson outplayed Mahomes. Very surprising. Uh, Jets were home, of course, but still, I, no one would have thought that that game was going to be as close as it was Sunday night. And for the Jets to even have a chance to win that game was was very, very surprising. And that's my most intriguing storyline of week four. Justin, how about you? What's your most intriguing? My most intriguing storyline is the Cincinnati Bengals. This team is in trouble right now at one and three. I know it's a bit early. They got to the AFC title game, but this team's in trouble. Burrow, only 165 yards, didn't turn the ball, didn't throw an interception, but no, didn't throw a touchdown pass. The, but this team is in trouble. This team is in trouble on offense. Their offensive line is not great. And you let Ryan Tannehill light, basically go down the field and score a touchdown and really light this team up for 240 passing yards. Derrick Henry as well, 122 rushing yards and a touchdown. Not a great day for the Cincinnati Bengals. And that's my intriguing storyline. Are, are, are the Bengals in trouble? And I think they are. Yeah, Burrow's definitely not himself. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll get to that game a little bit later uh, for my snoozer of the week, actually. Uh, spoiler alert. Zach, keep us going um, with shootout of the week. Yeah, I mean, the shootout of the week. I was going to go back to uh, Commanders-Eagles because, yes, Dolphins-Bills was not a particularly competitive game. I know it was the highest scoring uh, output of the week, but that was mostly on the Buffalo side. So the Commanders and the Eagles, both of them contributed to that honorable mention as well to Broncos Bears. It's weird how two terrible teams can play an entertaining game, but that's exactly what they did yesterday. Yeah, my uh, my shootout of the week, Dolphins Bills. We just talked about it, obviously. No shocker. We're not going to get into this too much more. Uh, Stefan Diggs back to midseason midseason form. That's my biggest takeaway. Played really, really well. Uh, six catches, 120 yards, uh, three TD game. Uh, that's his fourth of his career, three TDs. That's a, that's pretty amazing. I mean, Bill's defense made a statement, though. Dolphins put up 70 points, as we all know, against the Broncos last week. Uh, Buffalo held Miami to th on three for 10 on third downs and zero for three on fourth downs. The Bills also uh, – yeah, Buffalo also forced two turnovers and sacked Tua four times. Yeah, Buffalo's defense got this game done. I mean, we already knew that offenses were explosive going into this game, and the, the defense for Buffalo – uh, surprisingly is what ended up winning the game in a game that you really thought offense was going to uh, end up uh, making the shot, calling the shot. Justin, how about you? What was your shootout of the week? I'd say my shootout of the week would be the Chiefs and the Jets. That's another close game. And the Jets really outplayed themselves here. Kansas City, they were up 17-0 in the first quarter. They haven't closed out. They didn't really close out the Jets. The Jets kept it close. Zach Wilson, 245 yards and two touchdowns and no interceptions. But Patrick Mahomes, only one touchdown pass and two interceptions on the day, 
for 203 yards. But for Kansas City, they still come up with the win. The Jets played played them very tough. They got to they got to Mahomes a lot of times with the sacks and the turnovers on defense. Yeah, like I said, Mahomes definitely not one of his best games. Zach, uh, let's continue on with surprise of the week. Um, surprise of the week, I would say the fact that the Bengals did not look very good against the Tennessee Titans. You know, we thought maybe last week the Bengals getting a win over the Rams, they might bounce back. Titans have been up and down, to say the least, this year. But the fact that this was a dominant performance by the Titans completely shutting down the Bengals' offense you know, to the point where Jamar Chase is visibly frustrated after the game. I like what the Titans did. They got back to who they are, and that is a dominant running football team. 173 yards, 5 yards a carry, average. Derrick Henry, 22 carries, 122 yards. And also Derrick Henry had a touchdown pass as well. We've seen that a couple of times. Uh, in recent memory. The fact that the Titans dominated this game is the surprise to me, and Joe Burrow probably needs – they probably should bench him right now because he just doesn't look healthy. It, he can't really move, and this offensive line is not cohesive enough to allow him to have a clean pocket right now. He's getting drilled just about every time he throws the ball, so you're wondering at some point if he's not mobile enough, is he hurting the Bengals by being out there? So I'm going with that as my intriguing storyline. Fifty million dollar quarterback if he gets benched. One of the probably the highest paid quarterback in the league gonna get benched. Wow, that would that would be something else. I guess AJ McCarron would be the backup. Yeah. For the I'm looking at it now. I didn't even know who their backups were really, but yeah, I guess AJ McCarron would be the backup. Um well geez. Definitely not uh as good as uh yeah, as good as Burrow is. My surprise of the week, Texans over Steelers. Um uh, Steelers Yep. Um, bad. I mean, not very surprising. Steelers are off a terrible offense. It's one of those games for the Steelers where people inside and outside of Pittsburgh are asking how Matt Canada is still there. Uh, Pickett threw for only 114 yards with an interception. Struggled to move the offense literally the entire day. I mean, absolute anemic offense. They were, yeah, pretty much stagnant on the field the entire Sunday. I do want to ask you guys though. Is it way too early? It is It is way too early of an overreaction. But is C.J. Stroud turning out to be a better quarterback than Bryce Young? Yes. Yeah, 100%. I, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Stats for you. Stroud has thrown for over 1,200 yards, uh, second only to Cam Newton for the most yards by a rookie in his first four games in NFL history. Um, he's the first rookie since the merger with 250 yards, two touchdown passes, and no interceptions in three straight games. C.J. Stroud is the reason Texans are doing so well this year. And I looked at their schedule as well. By week, coming up next week, uh, that's a shame because that's um, – oh, wait, no. I'm sorry. By week is not until week seven. But they have two more games – they have two more games to their week seven – or, yeah, week seven, their bye week. Excuse me. Atlanta, week five. New Orleans, week six. Might be – some tricky games, but then after their bye, they have Carolina, Tampa Bay, which will be tricky. Cincinnati, they're playing terrible. Arizona, uh, terrible. Jacksonville, which will be hard. And then they got Denver, New York, Tennessee, Cleveland, Tennessee, and Indianapolis. I think uh, Houston's. I think the Texans are going to end up going to the playoffs this year. I mean, no one expected that. No one really called that. They were going to. They were supposed to be the worst team in the NF, or AFC South. Excuse me, right now, and. Now it's any, I mean, it's anyone's taking this division, and I really do think the Texans actually have a chance to 
come away and take it. What do you what do you guys' thoughts on that? The Texans made a statement. This was also my surprise game of the week here. The leading receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers was Najee Harris with only one catch for 32 yards. I mean, that is just come on already. What a yeah. George Pickens only had three catches for 25 yards. I mean, this this Steelers offense is just downright awful. They probably were one of the worst offenses in the league with Matt Canada as the offensive coordinator. And the Texans, C.J. Stroud is probably the best quarterback to come out of Ohio State in a long time. I think he's been a great quarterback and a great addition for the Texans. And he might be the rookie offensive rookie of the year so far. He might be one of the top offensive rookies of the year might be a favorite right now i mean they really are one of the most intriguing teams uh you know going forward first two weeks they struggled i mean baltimore is a great team lost to them week one 25 to 9 indianapolis not so great they that was a bad game for them indianapolis won in week two obviously 31 to 20 but jacksonville they beat 37 17 last week and then steelers they didn't even allow Steelers to have a touchdown last week. So, or did they? Have, I think they did have a touchdown. Yeah, they did. But still, only six points for the Steelers. That's. I'm. I'm looking forward to seeing what Jackson or what te- the Texans can do uh, these next two weeks before their bye. I mean, if they go into to, you know, week eight after their bye, four, you know, four two. That's. Uh, yeah, very intriguing uh, going down the stretch for them. That's for sure. Snoozer of the week, guys. Zach, who was your snoozer of the week? I'm going Ravens-Browns. That was a dominant performance by the Ravens, especially the moment Deshaun Watson was deactivated and couldn't play. This game was over from the very beginning. Lamar Jackson, a dominant performance uh, in this game, accounted for four touchdowns. And this is despite the fact that Baltimore was out without their top two receivers, without their starting left tackle, and then two more defensive backs and their right tackle got hurt during the game. And it just simply did not matter because – the Browns' offensive play calling, I think, was just it, – it's baffling. that You have DTR throw the ball 36 times, and they run it 25 times when their best – the best thing they do is run the football. So, Kevin Stefanski, I think, has got to answer some questions about that. But the Baltimore Ravens dominated this from start to finish, and so it was kind of a snoozer. Yeah, my snoozer, we already talked about this game too. Titans, Bengals um, – Ryan Tannehill had 30 more yards than the entire Bengals team. That's not even including Derrick Henry that, you know, absolutely went off on Sunday. 22 rushes, 122 yards, and one TD. Joe Burrow, like, I mean, we already said it. He's not right. Definitely consider benching him. I think that was a great point by you, Zach. I think the Bengals would do better with McCarron. And they got to at least give it a shot because at this point, Bengals are going to have a have a really long season. But you got to do it because only- Burrow will get himself hurt more and then your season's completely Yeah. Exactly. And next year, I mean, future years too. My only other takeaway, uh, Titans, this is just an example. I mean, they Bengals are playing bad, don't get me wrong right now, but Titans can win games when they don't make big mistakes. And they've been making some really, really big mistakes the first three weeks of the season. And uh, this is just one of those games that shows that, hey, if you don't do that and take care of the ball, you might win some football games. Okay, guys, let's move on. So just going to recap our pickings of the week. Obviously, Saturday show is when we make our picks. Last week, uh, we all were right. Justin, you picked Chiefs. Zach, you picked San Francisco, and I picked the Jags. All of us were right. Week three, we only started in week three just because of you know duplicate picks and we weren't really keeping track. I picked Seahawks week one or you know week three. Zach, you picked the Jags, and Justin, you picked the Dolphins. So 
Zach, uh, Justin, me and you at two right now. Uh, Zach, you yep. at one. We'll do our other picks for week five coming up on Saturday's show. Got to move on, though, to the college slate on Saturday. Biggest thing I want to talk about first, right off the bat, Colorado, really bad first half, but they got it together in the second half and gave USC quite the fight. Um, What do you guys think? I mean, just going forward for Colorado, I mean, I mean, this obviously was a quote unquote good loss. It's one of those good, you know, I think it's, I mean, USC is a great team. Yeah, go on. What's your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't believe in moral victories. I don't believe in good losses. Losses are losses. But I will say, Colorado, I said last week, they matched up a whole lot better with USC than they do with Oregon because USC is not a great defense, and they don't dominate the trenches. And both of those things were on full display in this game. Shadur Sanders did a great job in the second half. Colorado ran the football effectively. This is a team that rushed for fairly 50 yards a game all season, and they rushed for over 140 as a team against USC my big concern for the Trojans is still Lincoln Riley doesn't take defense seriously, and until he does, he's never going to win a national championship. I don't care if he has a generational quarterback in Caleb Williams because all you got to do is get a couple of stops, and you're going to be able to beat them because they can't stop anybody. So long-term takeaways for USC, big problems on the defensive side of the ball, and unfortunately they're going to lose a couple of games later because they got to play Oregon, they got to play Washington, they got to play Notre Dame. Their schedule's about to ramp up pretty quick. As far as Colorado's concerned – you come back and, you know, they score 41 points. I think they're still going to be an intriguing team to watch. I think they're going to make it to a bowl game. Give them credit for showing some fight in the second half, and if not for some questionable clock management, might have had a better chance to actually come back. So give them credit. But, I mean, let's see what the Dion hype does now that they're 3-2 and two and uh, kind of out of pretty much the major mix as far as the Pac-12, and they're not going to be ranked. Like, what's going to happen there? Is the hype going to continue? Yeah, I think Colorado will get great recruits in the future, but this is not their year as a top 10 team or a top 14. They're not going to go. They're definitely not going to not going to skip a bowl game. I think they will play a bowl game. Just not going to be yeah, a top game. Yeah. They got I mean, I think they'll obviously they play USC. That's very good in Oregon last week. They'll play not, not every game will be as tough as those two opponents and Tough games only make you better, too, of course. So I think they will end up winning enough games to get a bowl game. But uh, but yeah. But my only other takeaway, though, from this game was, uh, yeah, defense is a struggle for USC, Zach. And like you said, they have Oregon and Washington coming up. And that's, you know, especially Washington. That's going to be something that's going to, you know, eat them if they can't figure out some things going forward. Um, Colorado, I mean, Justin, you kind of mentioned it, too. They'll definitely get recruiting, I think. I mean, they'll definitely get recruiting with Dion there. I know the playoff structure next year going forward, 12 games, not four. Do you guys think in five years Colorado could be a top five team, though, in a in a consistent basis? Like, not only just one week, but in a relatively consistent basis. I don't know about consistent, but it's possible. It's, I mean, they don't need to be a top five. They just have to be top 12. So I think they're going to make the play a few, a few times. I think they will, too, because Deion Sanders being a marketing genius and the social media and the and recruiting that he's getting, and don't forget, and the NBA players go out to those games, too, in Colorado. Uh, Kawhi Leonard was there one week, LeBron. I mean, this this will recruit a lot of guys. Lil Wayne was there. It definitely will be a big recruiting for uh, for Deion Sanders in Colorado, and that's, that's why the college football – 
the top coaches in college football, it's kind of a threat right now. You look at Nick Saban. You look at all the. Uh, you look at the at Alabama and the Georgia and all these top programs. If Dion were in the SEC, he probably he probably might be a top ten team as well. It could be a Florida State because that's his alma mater. But Colorado, they're going to be a threat in the future. Like I said, they'll get a bowl game this year. All of Colorado, is, I mean, all of college football landscape is changing. I mean, you even mm-hmm. look at Deion Sanders, what he was able to do just in his one year there. I mean, it's been amazing. So I'm excited to see what they can do going forward. Uh, Georgia, Georgia, Auburn, let's move on, yep. guys. Uh, Georgia, again, struggled, but yet still top uh, top in the college football landscape for uh, one seed heading into next weekend. Uh, second week in a row, they've struggled against a bottom feeder SEC team. Carson Beck, one TD, one interception, 313 yards. Still didn't play the worst, but Georgia, just in general, I mean, definitely not a bad team by any means, but Texas absolutely should be number one ranked, and then Michigan should be maybe even be two, and then Georgia three. But, I mean, just what do you what do you guys think is on Georgia right now? It's just overranked. The, voter, the voters ever going to take them down a peg? Or if they could, even if they win by one point every single week going forward, do you think they're still going to be number one heading into the playoffs? I think for now they're just going to stay number one because the voters are lazy. Now, I don't think the college football playoff committee is lazy, so I don't think George is going to be number one if this continues. But they should have or very easily could have lost to Auburn. They gave up two uh, two turnovers, 14 points directly off of those turnovers. They really didn't run the ball the way that we're used to seeing Georgia dominate the ground game, only 107 yards as a team. And if Brock Bowers doesn't go Superman and have, start having one-handed catches and just bounce off tacklers at the end of the game, by the way, he should be a top-five pick in the NFL draft. I know most tight ends aren't, but this guy is a physical freak of nature, one of the best tight ends in recent college football history. Um, but if that doesn't change, Georgia is not going to be – a three-time national champion. I don't think they should be number one right now. I would probably rank them about number three or number four myself, and that might even be generous just because they don't have the resume right now. And they're kind of floundering around, and hopefully for their sake they don't get caught because they got Kentucky this week. Uh, But the good news for Georgia is we may not know how good they really are until the playoff because outside of Kentucky and Tennessee – The SEC West isn't particularly good, so the SEC championship game probably won't be a big deal for them. We may not see the best version of Georgia until they make the playoff, or at least we won't know if we'll get the best version of Georgia until they get to the playoff. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's definitely – he knows what's going to happen. But that's a very good point you made, Zach. George, uh, the football – the playoff committee is not the same as the voters every week for the AP poll, and they definitely vote differently than the voters for the AP poll. So I don't think if this continues, it'll be the same uh, same structure. In, in going into the you know the four-seeded playoffs, Georgia wouldn't be a one-seed if it ended today. But going forward, I think they're, they have that pretty much locked down. Let's move on to one of the most exciting college games this year, Ole Miss-LSU. Both teams combined for over 1,300 yards and 67 first downs. <laughs> Uh, absolute shootout of a game. Um, that's all I, I don't even have much else to say to that, except it was extremely, extremely fun to watch. And, uh, yeah, more college football games. It was like a big 12 game. This was definitely the shootout of the week. NFL, college, whatever landscape you want to use. This was the shootout. Ole Miss 389 yards passing, 317 yards rushing. You talk about balance. 
Ole Miss certainly had that in spades. They were 9 for 16 on third downs. Even though they committed 11 penalties, it didn't matter because it just gave them more room to operate. It seemed like neither of these teams could get a stop. The big story leaving this game is Brian Kelly at LSU now out of the national championship mix. Uh, second top 10 team to make that claim. Clemson last week exited the national title conversation, and now LSU has done the same now. And Brian Kelly, only 13-6 and six as a head coach, despite all the family talk and all that kind of stuff. Right now, things are not going all that swimmingly down in Baton Rouge. Yeah, and we talk about the voters, the AP poll voters. LSU, I mean, they should be outside the top 25, you can argue. Yeah. SEC bias is keeping them in. I mean, you look at teams like Maryland, my West Virginia Mountaineers, even. I mean, they just won the TCU last week, and they should, they could, you know, they could be mid twenties. Uh, WVU, even Air Force could be in there. The Maryland and Air Force are both perfect teams on the year, but yet they're still edged out. LSU still in the top twenty-five, and again, it's that it's that lazy uh, SEC bias that the voters tend to have, and that's why Georgia's Maryland, ranked number one right now. That's exactly why, and that's why, mm-hmm. and LSU should not be in the rankings. I mean, Ole Miss should definitely I, – I think that's an SEC, SEC team that deserves to be in the top 25, but yeah. not LSU yeah. after that game. Last game last game to talk about, unless you guys want to bring any others up too, but I have Duke versus Notre Dame. Uh, Duke led Notre Dame 14-13 late in the fourth quarter, but the Fighting Irish scored on a 30-yard touchdown rush with 31 seconds remaining to beat the Blue Devils. Another nail-biter, awesome game. Uh, Duke's really good. I mean, I didn't think Duke would be this good. I knew they would definitely be a, probably a ranked team. We, we, you know, we just talked about, you know, mid 20 teams. I thought that's where they would be this year, but no, putting up a fight against Notre Dame, definitely been playing pretty good, really good. I mean, this couldn't close out a game against a really, really good experienced Notre Dame squad. I mean, what else do you guys have to add to this? It's kind of amazing. Notre Dame basically played the exact same game two weeks in a row. They won one and then they lost one. Yeah, I mean, it was essentially the same thing. Notre Dame was the team that got out to a 10-0 lead. Then it was Duke that came back. Notre Dame missed a lot of chances to kind of put the game away. And last week it was 3rd and 19 that Notre Dame gave up. This week it was 4th and 16 that Sam Hartman rushed for a first down. And I don't understand what Duke was doing there. They were getting pressure on Sam Hartman, and they were really flustering him. And then they decided to play prevent defense on 4th and 16 and only rush 3, and that's why the whole right side of the field was completely wide open for him to run. I don't understand why coaches do that. So Duke kind of didn't learn the lesson that Notre Dame suffered through last week. So Notre Dame plays the exact same game two weeks in a row. They win one this week, and this is the first of four straight or the second of four straight ranked matchups because they got Louisville on the road this week, and then they got USC in a couple weeks. I do worry about Notre Dame's offensive ceiling because I don't trust their receiving core. I do like their running game. Hartman kind of struggled in this game, but it was the Notre Dame defense. That is a legit unit, and Notre Dame's going to be in every game they play. And I know what they lost. I think Duke certainly legitimized themselves with their performance in this game. Maybe the second best team, the ACC right behind Florida State. It's them or maybe Miami at this point. But, no, there should be no more questions about this Duke team. They're really good. Justin, anything from you before moving on to new week's resolutions? Notre Dame definitely has a top 10 defense in the nation with the way they're playing. Very close against Ohio State and obviously beating Duke with this defense. I I thought Duke would win this game with the way they were playing and the way Notre Dame was kind of lagging on offense. Yeah, there'll be a sneaky team uh, in the playoff conversation, you know, down mm-hmm. the line if they continue to win the way they're doing. 
and then other teams, you know, struggling the way they are. New week's resolution, Zach. What's your new week's resolutions this uh, week? My new week's resolution is college game day. Respect Washington State and other programs like Washington State. Pat McAfee to say things like, "Oh, you should be happy that we flew your flag when you were one and eleven and two and ten a couple of years ago." This team is actually good, and Washington State. They have the flag on game day every week. It's one of the great traditions of college game day. And for McAfee and for Kirk Street and all these guys to kind of disrespect in some ways a program like Washington State, who is as much a part of the college football world as the Alabamas and the Ohio States of the world, I thought was in poor taste. And this is all referencing a week ago when Lee Corso said that Washington State, Oregon State was a no one wants us game. Now the Washington State coach misheard it and said no one wants us game, but or no one watches us game. So there was a kind of a miscommunication there, but at least Corso and uh, the Washington State coach passed things up. I thought it was an unprofessional move by College Game Day to basically trash Washington State, and they show a lack of real regard for teams that aren't top ten consistent powers when Washington State, you know, West Virginia, similar kind of programs, and they don't get the attention that they deserve just simply because they're not power programs. So I, I think Game Day needs to do better. Yeah, I mean, especially you look at their audience. I mean, how many people that they serve. I mean, far, 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 far more schools, obviously, outside of those top 10, top 15 than there are in the top 10, you know. So you think they would want to tail. I mean, you can't talk about every team, though. That's also the kind of the problem that they run into in their defense. But at the same time, I agree, Zach. They definitely try to hammer the, the teams that are at the top, and they kind of leave out of conversation uh, the other great teams that we have in college football right now. Uh, my... New week's resolution. Uh, I did have Joe Burrow sitting him. We already talked about that at length. Uh, just prevent injury, not playing well, clearly hurt, clearly uh, something wrong. I am going to just, uh, I am going to say though, I think I did like the Toy Story uh, rendition that they had for the uh, Jags game this this uh, past weekend. I thought it was really cool. Actually worked out a lot better than I thought it was going to do. Um, uh, you know, I thought it was, it, it was actually pretty amazing how live action it was and how well it all seeing the transition and work together see a lot of social posts a lot of things online you know kids were loving it kids getting in the football you know parents actually being able to watch football with their kids you know for more than two minutes before they get bored super awesome i think they got to do that more going forward might cost a little bit of money amazon can get into it who knows you know pay up help espn uh broadcast it more but yeah bring at bring back more uh broadcasts like the toy story broadcast broadcast i only lasted like maybe 10 15 minutes myself before i wanted to turn on the real game but again for the kids and for the parents that want to watch these games with their kids uh i think it's awesome and something that they should definitely look into doing more because it was really fun zach or justin who's your new week's resolution my new week's resolution is the taunting rule in the nfl right now they should strict they shouldn't strictly enforce taunting in the nfl we've seen ray lewis taunt Tom Brady, and we've seen Tom Brady being taunted by guys like James Harrison back in the day. We shouldn't we shouldn't enforce that too much. I get there's taunting. I get things can get out of control sometimes, especially if there's fights on the field. And, yeah, there was some, some chippiness on the field in the Patriot-Cowboy game and even last night in the Jets and Chiefs game. But some of these taunting penalties – that have been called, that are being strictly enforced, especially the one on A.J. Brown, it was uncalled for. You shouldn't call that many taunting penalties and that many unsportsmanlike penalties. There's a lot of trash talking in hockey. 
There's a lot of trash talking off the field in football. There's a lot of trash talking in all sports, basically. And for the NFL to do that on the field when players get chippy and, you know, things like like Mahomes last night, Mm -hmm. it kind of looked like a taunt or an unsportsmanlike at the end of the game against the Jets when he got the – when they got the first down there and they didn't call a taunting penalty on that, but they called it on AJ Brown, who I know he might've said something to Emmanuel Mosley, but it wasn't, uh, but they still threw the flag. So I think taunting penalties should be less enforced in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. uh, Especially, you know, professional play. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay guys, let's move on. Uh, Bob Nightingale, awesome interview coming up with him. We break down every team that made the play. Uh, moving on to October baseball, great interview with him. He breaks down every single team. Like I said, their strengths, their weaknesses, how far they're going to go, what the chances of them making a deep run is. And uh, as I alluded to early earlier in the show, uh, he gives us a really uh, surprising pick for his World Series matchup, and then ultimately the World Series champion. Breaking down real fast, like I said tonight. Does start the wild card matchups, Rangers Rays. Uh, that's actually at 3 p.m. Uh, that's mid uh, mid game. Unfortunately, don't hate to see that, especially on a Tuesday. Blues Twins 4:30. Uh, especially that's going to be at the Twins. So that's even going to be 3:30 local time. And then you got the night games, Diamondbacks Brewers. That's going to be an awesome series. And then the Phillies and the Marlins at eight, topping it off. But yeah, without further ado, let's uh, head on to talk to Bob Nightingale, get a breakdown of all these games and the next rounds as well, and get us ready for some October baseball. Okay, we're now bring back on recurring guest Bob Nightingale from USA Today. Uh, Bob, always love having you on, talking some baseball with you. Uh, we're recording this on uh, Thursday, 28th of September. Today starts wild card, though, uh, for the MLB. Uh, let's start with the AL. Uh, yeah, AL East, uh, still kind of up in the air. Um, what do you? What, what's your takeaway from this division? I know, like I said, we're still about four days away recording this until the wild cards start. Start, but do you think the Orioles have a chance to to win this division uh, after it's all said and done? Once we start uh, play here tonight, yeah, I think it's Orioles division and lose. I think they got this uh, all but wrapped up. Um, and they had the tiebreaker too over Tampa, so yeah, they're going to win the division and. They're dangerous. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay has had so many injuries, you know, Wander Franco being out. So kudos to them to, you know, being back in the, in the postseason. But a, uh, Orioles are dangerous. The Orioles remind me so much of the Astros back in 2015 when they broke, up, broke into the scene. I think the Orioles, you know, could, could uh, rule this division for the next, you know, six, seven years. Uh, they're that talented, that young. Yeah, we had on uh, Valerie Preoctor, uh from WB- WBAL uh, a couple of episodes ago talking about the Orioles. They're kind of a weird team, right? Don't really spend a lot of money, uh, really, really focus on getting young players. Uh, do you think that's a kind of a recipe that's going to be able to last a long time? Or do you think that's a that's a recipe that might end up fanning out after a while? Because uh, you said they might go on for a long time. They might be the heads of the AL East for a long time to come. But I am just concerned kind of their strategy with these young players not really wanting to spend a lot of money. What, what's your thoughts on that? Well, certainly, I mean, I said they could lock them up. Nothing else. You got them under control for six years at the major league level. Uh, I would think 
for veteran pitching, you'd, uh, you know, you got to bring in some guys that probably going to cost some money. You know, just like what the, uh, what the Astros did. They traded for Garrett Cole. They traded for Justin Berlander and uh, hit, you know, hit big on both those guys. So I would think Orioles would have to do the same type of thing. They got enough young guys where they can move some just for some, uh, you know, great pitching to help out, get, help out those young pitchers. But a, uh, but they're sitting pretty. I mean, they're probably, uh, you know, as an amiable uh, a situation as any team in baseball. How has uh, Felix Bautista for the for the Orioles been? How how has his return been uh, in helping the team make a deep playoff run? Well, he keeps throwing. He's throwing harder on the side. We'll see. Uh, I would think they'd like to stick him in a game at some point, but maybe not. Maybe just a simulated game. If you know that they're going to have the first round by. So they'll have another week to play with. Uh, you know, I think worse comes to worse. Have him keep throwing. Put him on the playoff roster. Put him in a game. Uh, maybe not the ninth inning, but put him in a game. Then if he gets hurt, you can still replace him on the roster. Then he's done for the year. At least, you know, give yourself a fighting chance with him. How far do you think the Orioles go in the playoffs? You know, I don't think they go all the way. Uh, I'm not saying they, they, they can't because they, uh, the American League is wide, wide open. But I, I just think that pitching will uh, keep them from going all the way to the World Series. You also learn about the uh, the young players. They've never been in this situation before. So it's all new to these guys. So it's a lo- you know tough, tough ask. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they – yeah, you know, they could win the whole thing or go out, you know, in the division series. Uh, but I, but I think they'll be back and back and back again. Let's move on to the Rays, the team that might have a chance to catch them. Only three games left. They're two and a half back. They would have a have to have a miracle pretty much happen to end up winning the AL East. They just had a series against the Orioles, Orioles and the Rays. Really, really explosive series kind of like a a weird sandwich of a series uh i mean the first game blowout middle two games were decided by one score and then the last game of that series was also uh kind of a blowout uh was this the was that series though that just happened back in mid-september between the orioles and rays was that the rays pretty much only i mean did they kind of blow their chance of winning the division by uh splitting that series yeah probably they need to do better than that uh you know, particularly not having a tiebreaker and everything else. So, yeah, I mean, I, they kind of lost the division right there. Uh, you know, the Orioles have held serve, so they're gonna, you know, they're gonna win the division. And we'll see about Tampa. I mean, too bad, but Tampa had, uh, you know, about three of their starters went down. Tommy John surgery, relievers went down. Wander Franco out for the year. So they've had a lot of things go wrong. If if none of that stuff had happened, if those guys had stayed healthy, you know, this might be the year they won their first World Series. Yeah, you mentioned the injuries to the pitching staff. I mean, Brandon Lowe, Randy Orzina, uh, uh, Yandy Diaz. I mean, that's is that going to be a concern for you personally? Thinking like going into the playoffs. I mean, we all know to make a deep playoff run, you have to have a deep uh, bullpen and and a good starting pitching rotation. So, is that going to be something that's going to really concern you for the Rays going into the playoffs? It does, and they have the experience at least. Those guys have uh, you know been together and been through it. But it's so hard to overcome that in the playoffs. I, I, I think they'd be a long shot of the uh, six American League teams that, that are uh, in the postseason. I would think they, they might have the longest of long shots uh, of those six teams just because of all those injuries. 
Let's move on to the Blue Jays, um, another team in the AL East that also has a wild card spot as of right now. What are your thoughts on the Blue Jays uh, just in general here? I mean, they, they've been kind of a fun team to watch, really good offense lately. I mean, what, what's your overall take on the Blue Jays? Do you think they'll have a good chance of making good, uh, a deep playoff run? They have a good chance to aim by the American League. Uh, I think they have the most talent uh, in the division. Uh, great mix of veterans, young guys. Uh, they certainly have uh, good pitching, you know, even without Manoa being around. So uh, we'll see. But I, I think they're dangerous. I would not want to play them in any round. So I, and they have as good a chance as any, but I could, I could see them, you know, back in the World Series very easily. Let's move on to the uh, AL Central. We just had on Paul Allen from uh, Minnesota, um, you know, KFAN uh, 100.3, Paul Allen. Talked at length about the Twins with him. Um, we can just kind of breeze by them pretty fast here. They they easily, easily locked up the uh, AL Central. No other wild card spots are going to be coming out of the AL Central either. But Twins, we talked about with Paul Allen uh, last week. You know, they haven't won a playoff series, I think, since 2002. They've lost 18 straight playoff games. I mean, is there any indication, any chance, uh, Bob, that Twins might have a different fate of luck this year <laughs> is there just going to be another history in the making no they uh i don't see there's any way they're going to end the season with 20 straight postseason losses they're just they got too much talent uh they got dangerous pitching uh they're kind of asleep for the american league you know i know they haven't had the offense uh they need carlos correa to you know come back they need royce lewis to be healthy uh but they're pitching you know can kind of scare you with you know lopez and gray um, and we'll see what happens, but I, uh, I, I think they uh, at least win a playoff game, you know, maybe a couple, and get to the second round. Uh, but yeah, they're not they're not a pushover by any means, just because of that of that pitching staff. Let's move on to now uh, AL West. Similar situation to the AL East: Texans, Houston, battling for a final spot uh, for the well, not a final spot, but for that divisional title. Texans, uh, two and a half games up on the Astros, just like the Orioles are up above on the Rays. Most likely will take that division as well. But Houston and Seattle will be the other wild card spots for the AL, it most likely seems. Let's start with the Rangers, though. Uh, have two and a half game lead, like I said, over the Astros. Um, you know, what are you thinking about Texas? I mean, they just got Max Sorger, obviously. They've been pitching very, very well. Um how far do you think the Rangers have a chance to go in these playoffs? I think by a lot of people, they're favorites for a lot of a lot of people, and it's are they right to be saying that? I've never seen a team, a postseason team, have so many ups and downs. Uh, it's unbelievable all the streaks they've had. You know, look like they're going to run away with the division, then look like they weren't going to make the playoffs. You know, now uh, they're sitting pretty, so they'll, they'll win the division. Uh, we'll see if Scherzer can come back. That's a big boost. Uh, you know, to him, Evaldi has been great for him. John Gray's been solid. Uh, the bullpen's been a mess. So I think the bullpen keeps them from getting to the World Series. Uh, but it's a dangerous team. It's, you know, uh, got, you know, great, uh, great, great lineup, uh, particularly, you know, Seeger and uh, Marcus Semien. Uh, but, but I think they fall short of the World Series. Like I said earlier, we have three up for grab wild card spots and the in the American League. I mean Toronto, um, 
or excuse me, I'm sorry. So Tampa Bay, excuse me, is definitely going to the wild card. The two other spots, excuse me, are up for grabs. I mean, Toronto, Houston, and Seattle all battling for that uh, for that two and third wild card spot in the American League. In your just opinion, well, I'll just ask a really general question, and then we can kind of get more specific from there. Between Houston, uh, Seattle, and Toronto, I know we already touched on Toronto a little bit, but who do you think out of those three do get the final two wild card spots and can head into October? Yeah, I, th- I think it's Toronto and Houston, and I've thought that for a while now. I just think uh, you know mm-hmm. Seattle had a great August. You know, Rodriguez played out of his mind. Now he's uh, falling way back uh, in the team. Has had too many struggles. Uh, Houston took two or three in Seattle, which is exactly what they needed to do. So I think Houston's the number six team. They'll play Minnesota, and then it'll be uh, Tampa Bay and Toronto. It could flip, and Toronto could be the sixth seed. Uh, Houston's dangerous just because six straight, you know, ALCSs, they know how to turn on in crunch time. Uh, it's amazing, you know, first team to ever do that. And, you know, you still got, you know, Verlander, who's pitching great. You know, Framber Valdez, uh, Christian Javier. So uh, solid bullpen. Uh, I like them. I mean, you know, we talked about Toronto having every chance in Baltimore. If you had to say, okay, what team's got the best chance, you'd probably still have to go Houston just because they keep doing it year after year. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned how Orioles and the Rays played each other back in mid-September, and obviously we just had we just had a series with the Seattle uh, with the Mariners and Astros, and uh, Astros were able to you know take that series to uh, they won two out of the three games, and that was ultimately what led them to getting that wild card, most likely locking up that wild card spot. Only have three games left, um, you know. So so Houston have a three game. A series against Arizona to close out the series. And then the Mariners, I'm looking at it now, have a uh, four-game series against the Texans to finish out the series. So, yeah, I mean, Texans, we just talked about them. Really good team. Uh, Mariners are going to have to at least go, at least split that series, you would say, to have any chance. And then Astros would have to uh, play well against Arizona, too. But both the Texas and Texas and Arizona, both teams uh by no means uh, a walk in the park by any stretch of the imagination. Let's move on to the National League, Bob. Um, Atlanta Braves, best team in baseball. I think they've been the best team in baseball the entire year. They, uh, you know, we'll, we can just start with the National League East here. Atlanta Braves, I mean, would you say they're your pick to win the whole thing? Or is there another team, uh, either in the NL or AL, that you would actually think might have a chance to overtake the Braves? Yeah, they're not my pick. Uh, obviously, they will be heavy favorites on paper. Uh, unbelievable, historic lineup. I, I worry about that pitching. Uh, you know, Charlie Moore now was out the first round. Uh, Max Fareed's been shut down with blister problems. He's supposed to, you know, come back. Uh, a lot of questions in, in that thing. Uh, the bullpen can be a little shaky, too. Offense is unbelievable. So, I'll go with an upset here. I, I think the team that can shock everybody is Milwaukee Brewers over the uh, NL Central. Just with that pitching, you win with pitching and defense, and Milwaukee's got plenty of it. Do you think uh, the Phillies have any chance to make a magical run like they did last year? Oh, I do. Uh, looks like it's going to be Phillies and Atlanta again, you know, in the uh, in the uh, division series. Uh, you know, Philadelphia shocked them last year. I don't think they'll shock them this time. 
but they're a dangerous team. I mean, just the uh, that clubhouse culture, the tenacity those guys have is unbelievable. So I would never bet against the uh, Phillies just because they play you know, the game so right, so hard, and everything else. Uh, very, very dangerous team, particularly in Philadelphia. I don't want to jump around too much. You just said the Brewers would be your pick uh, as a surprise pick to, to win it all. Um, best pitching in the NL right now, you mentioned their pitching, uh, fewest ERA in the NL and the fewest defensive runs allowed. If the season ended, ended today, though, they would play the Dodgers. How do the Brewers match up against the Dodgers? In your I think they uh, match up well against the Dodgers. Uh, it's amazing what the Dodgers have done. I mean, their whole starting rotation has been on the injured list. You know, Kershaw uh, is back healthy, but not throwing like he did before. You know, Urias is gone for the year. On and on. Uh, you know, Gavin Lux, a starting shortstop, you know, was out in spring training. So I think this is Dave Roberts' best job yet. Uh, this was the year that I was supposed to be vulnerable, didn't spend much money at all in, in free agency, and here they are. Uh, you know, these, these guys, you know, the division's going to run through L.A. probably for the next two decades. It, it's unbelievable what they've uh, done there. That being said, I, I like the Brewers to beat them just because of the uh, pitching matchups with, with Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, Wade Miley. I'll take those guys over, you know, any rotation uh, in the National League playoffs. Let's uh, move on to the Dodgers then. So bad showing last postseason. They fell apart, lost the five-seeded Padres. Um, what are your thoughts on the Dodgers? I mean, obviously you're picking the Brewers to beat the Dodgers if it ended today, as we just talked about. Dodgers have three rookies in their pitching rotation. That's always a risk to have that happen. I mean, Miller, uh, Sheehan, and uh, – PPOT, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It sounds French, but what are your thoughts? I mean, the Dodgers, I mean, Dodgers every single year, no matter what, are going to have expectations to go far. And like I said, last year, they definitely did not meet those expectations. Do you think they're going to flame out again this year? Uh, just like they did, let's say they don't play the Brewers and say they do get another opponent. I mean, the wild card is we'll get to in a second and the NL was so wide open. Um, what are your thoughts on the Dodgers? I mean, how is their outlook going into October? I mean, I think I think they've overachieved just to get to this point. They really do. I think if they get to the uh, NLCS, it'd be a bigger accomplishment than win the World Series in the, the COVID year in 2020. I think it's remarkable what they've done. Uh, powerful offense, you know, with, with Betts and, and Freeman, uh, you know, leading the way. Uh, you know, J.D. Martinez says, uh, you know, kind of a remade himself, same as Jason Hayward. But that being said, just asking a whole lot to go into the uh, postseason, you know, with Kershaw and Bobby Miller as one, two, and having no idea who's going to pitch, you know, games three or four. Uh, so we'll see. If, you know, the best thing that could happen to Dodgers is the Brewers get upset in the first round, then I think they'd be the, uh, you know, heavy favorite to win that division series. Otherwise, yeah, they might still be a favorite against the Brewers, but obviously the Brewers are about the last team anybody wants to face just because that pitching. I mentioned the wild card positioning in the NL right now. Uh, Marlins and Cubs, as of right now, again, recording this on Thursday, are tied. Um, who do you think, uh, when it's all said and done, you know, who do you think ends up getting that wild card, that third wild card spot between the Marlins and the Cubs? And then, yeah, we'll go on from there. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Philly's got the fourth spot. Uh, Dimebacks will have the, the fifth spot. 
you know, right now it's a uh, it's a Marlins spot to lose. It's amazing they only have two healthy starters. Everybody's been hurt, including Sandy Alcantara. Uh, you know, the race. So we'll see. You know, I mean, you know, you think your kind of your head tells you it's give me the Cubs. Your heart tells you the Marlins. Uh, it's unbelievable what the Marlins have done. I think if they make the playoffs, Skip Schumacher is the National League Manager of the Year. Uh, Cubs are okay. You know, the Brewers can kind of dictate their fate. Some people say, well, they want to knock them off because it's a rivalry. They don't want uh, their stadium half full of Cubs fans during the playoffs. But on the flip end, you know, maybe you want to play the Cubs in the uh, first round because they might be the, uh, the, the weakest team. So, uh, yeah, it's almost a coin flip. I, you know, right now, you know, the, uh, with the Marlins having the tiebreaker, they have the advantage. But still, it's asking a lot. They finish a year in Pittsburgh. Cubs, of course, in Milwaukee. We'll see how Milwaukee approaches this thing. I think Milwaukee is going to be very careful with their pitching. I think, you know, do a lot of bullpen games. I'm sure this weekend will be full of Cubs fans, too. So, uh, you know, probably, you know, you know, make a bet. I'd probably say the Cubs would be the last team. Do you think the Reds have any chance to to break in? I mean, you, you just said the Cubs and the, the Marlins might have a chance. I mean, they might fall apart against Pittsburgh, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, that's kind of rivals right there. Um, Cubs, we just said, play Atlanta tonight on third. You know, this is being Thursday again, and they finish up against the Brewers. That's no easy. Uh, that's that's nothing easy either, of course, as we just said. Uh, is there any chance the uh, Reds can uh, have a chance to get in here? I think they finish up against St. Louis. Uh, they, they have a three-game series coming up against St. Louis. What, what's the chances of uh, the Reds maybe potentially sneaking into the wild card? Yeah, I, I don't see it. I think it'd be it'd be a miracle. Uh, you know, them losing the game against Cleveland on Wednesday. I think that was kind of nail in the coffin. Uh, great season. Uh, they may be favored to win the division next year with all the young talent they have. Uh, just, you know, the, the pitching kind of hit a wall. Uh, you know, El De La Cruz, you know, massive slump since the All-Star break. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, a, a glorious run by them, especially after losing 100 games uh, last year. And, they'll, you know, they'll be back. Uh, you know, they should make the playoffs next year. But it's just uh, too big. The odds are just too, too big to overcome. Marlins, you can argue, were probably expect. I mean, I don't know. I, I would like to actually get your thoughts on this. You know baseball way, way more than I do. Marlins almost expected to make the playoffs. Uh, Chicago, maybe not. And Reds, I also would say no. Who would be the most impressive out of these wild card spots? And I'll even throw Arizona into here, too. I mean, Phillies just went to the World Series last year. I'll leave them out of it. But between Arizona, Marlins, Chicago, and uh, Cincinnati, who um who would be like the most impressive uh, just just making the playoffs this year. Like who 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 impressed you the most? Just getting this far. It would have to be the Reds. Uh, they lost 100 games last year. Uh, rebuilding. Nobody thought saw this coming. You know they traded away their uh, you know their aces last year uh, to get you know young players back in return, and the trades were you know worked wonders. So yeah, nobody saw this coming. They'd be the biggest surprise, and they would be the Marlins. Uh, you thought that you know could be you know. Uh, a good team, at least a competitive team, but not not to make a playoffs. Uh, Dimebacks, there are people picking the Dimebacks uh, to make the playoffs at the start of the season, saying, okay, they made a big jump last year. You know, why not? Can they win between 81 and 85 games? You know, the answer is yes. Same with the Cubs. I think the Cubs you know, are taking advantage of a bad NL Central. 
where nobody thought the um, the Cardinals would struggle like this. So, but if you said before the season, can the Cubs win 84, 85 games? You would say, yeah, they, they got a chance to do that. Let's uh, talk about the Diamondbacks, though, a little bit more. Um, magic, I mean, hot streak going on, which we know is, a, which is very, very important uh, in baseball going into October. I mean, you look at the Phillies last year. We talked about them a little bit earlier. Eight out of the last 10 games, they have won. Uh, exciting team. You talk about a, a young team as well. What are your, I mean, I don't want to, you know, ask such general questions, but what are your thoughts on the Diamondbacks going into October? Yeah, very good team. Uh, they've been streaking themselves. Uh, young team. I mean, they should be around for quite a few years, too. You know, Corbin Carroll you know, leading their way. Uh, uh, they play hard. They play aggressive. Great outfield defense. Maybe the best in, in baseball. Uh, their trouble is they only have two starters. It's, uh, you know, Merrill Kelly, number two guy, and Zach Gallen, who will finish, you know, top three or four in Cy Young race is a race. So because those two guys, you know, they have a chance, a, a legitimate chance, to surprise somebody that first round, you know, whether it's, a, you know, Philadelphia or, uh, you know, whoever that they end up playing. Uh, I don't see them getting at, past the first round. Just, I mean, uh after the wild card round, just because then you need a deeper rotation, and I don't think they have it. So they can certainly surprise people in the wild card round, but division series would be a tough ask. So you you said Brewers, obviously you, that's your pick to win it all. Um, I didn't actually, and I'm not, I'm not. I apologize if you did say this. Who do the Brewers play in the World Series and from the AL? In your, in yeah. Your <laughs> I, I don't have a team. I'll, I'll say Houston uh, or, or Toronto. I'll say one of those two. But I think the American League is so wide open. Uh, like we said, Baltimore would not surprise me at all. But I'll go Houston or Toronto right now uh, against Milwaukee. Houston? Yeah, in Houston, again, is that just the pitching? Because of the pitching? And the, and the better experience. I mean, these guys have been in six straight you know, ALCSs. Uh, they've all been there, done that. So they, they like the pressure. But one thing that worries you is they can't win at home. They have a losing record at home this year. So that's the strange part about it, uh, despite all the great crowds they get and the, and the support they get. So, but yeah, I'll go Houston. But yeah, Toronto wouldn't surprise me at all. So it's almost like, to me, a coin flip between those two. But like you said, anybody in the American League, uh, you know, you can make a case for. Yeah, the Blue Jays, uh, before Tuesday, you know, this last Tuesday's 2-0 loss against the Yankees at home, uh, Jays, the Blue Jays owned a 98.6% chance to make the playoffs. Like I said, they're going to the playoffs, so that's no doubt about that. But last year, the Blue Jays were pretty heavy on hitting talent and light on pitching. It, it almost seems like it's reversed this year. I mean, we just talked about it earlier. You mentioned the Blue Jays earlier. I mean, now it almost seems like their pitching is more the dominant side of it, and their hitting has kind of slumped a little bit, uh, you know, going to the end of the year here. Yeah, I mean, Vlad Guerrero has uh, struggled all year long. Uh, you know, it, uh, you know, Bezo has struggled. You know, Bichette's been very good. Of course, he's been healthy. Springer's been very up and down. Uh, you know, the trade getting Dalton Varsho backfired on him by trading away uh, Guriel, uh, trading away Teoscar Hernandez. They could use that bat. So, yeah, they took a hit offensively. Pitching stepped up. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if they have enough. But certainly, you know, they have enough talent there to, uh, you know, to beat teams and, and get there. You um, you know, we look at the Phillies last year. 
Um, and you know more baseball, like I said, way, 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 way more baseball than I am. I'm not a seam head by any means. I mean, look at the Phillies last year. Uh, biggest reason they got to the World Series, I think no one, no one would argue with this, is their hitting. They were just – they had explosive offense. They just started, you know, really clicking on uh, at the plate. Uh, but then you also have a lot of people that say you need a really, really deep bullpen to make it far in the playoffs. That's not something the Phillies really had last year or really have ever really had. In your personal opinion, I mean, what would you – say it's your favorite team. What would you rather have going into October? Would you rather have a really competent, deep bullpen or uh, just hitting prowess, like a really, really hot hitting streak? I'll go deep bullpen at any time. Uh, that's how you win, as you win championships with that bullpen. And you're right. I mean, Phillies has been shaky. They got another, you know, a couple of young kids stepped up. You know, they've done well down the stretch. Maybe they'll help in the postseason. Uh, Kimbrell, you hold your breath every time he goes to the mound. You don't know what you're going to get, whether he closes it out or, uh, you know, coughs up a, a, a big home run. So I think the bullpen is definitely a weakness for the Phillies. So is their defense, for that matter. You know, still a weak defensive team. Uh, you know, they need – they need uh, Aaron Nolan to step up too. He's had a uh, you know, a very mediocre season, you know. So besides Wheeler, who's been an ace, you need Nolan to step up, and maybe and probably Taiwan Walker to step up. I think we've kind of already answered this a little bit, but I want a more like definitive answer from you. I think we kind of were washing over a little bit. Who has been the biggest surprise for you uh, this year? Uh, yeah, probably, you know, like you said, probably Miami has been a, a big surprise. Uh, you know, Arizona has been a, uh, a big surprise. Those two jump out. And I'll, I'll throw in Baltimore for that matter. You know, probably maybe Baltimore than the, uh, than anybody. I mean, they did a step up last year, but not to, you know, I don't think anybody thought they were going to win a hundred games. So nobody's picking to win the division. So if Miami makes it, I'd say Miami, if Miami doesn't make it, I, I go Baltimore number one surprise. Who would be the most disappointing team in your opinion? I think easily the uh, San Diego Padres. I think they're most underachieving team in baseball history. I mean, it's loaded with talent. Uh, you know, if they had the same heart and desire the Phillies, they would have won 110 games. But yes, just something was wrong in there. They didn't win their uh, first extra inning game until uh, Wednesday night. Uh, you know, <clears throat> four games left in the season. Terrible one-run games. But something's wrong in that clubhouse, and uh, they're going to have to make some big decisions this winter. How do they go forward, do you think, next? I mean, what in your opinion, what, what are those changes going to be? Well, I think they'll let the free agents go. I think they'll let Josh Hader, the all-star closer, go. And Blake Snell, let him go. He's a side young, he'll be a side young winner. And I think they'll trade Juan Soto. You know, I think they have no choice. They didn't win with them. Now they got to get something back in return before he walks away as a free agent at the end of next year. Well, Bob, this has been awesome. Uh, as always, always love having you on. My last question for you is what's outside the, you know, the box score, the score lines, what is a, just one storyline people should really be looking at going into the playoffs? I mean, any team, any division, you know, any matchup, what is, what's that, what's a one storyline or even a couple of storylines that, you know, outside the game that people should, uh, you know, well, out. certainly uh, since the last out of the uh, World Series recorded, and then free agency starts. So I think the big question is where does Shohei Otani go? Uh, does he stay in L.A., either with the Angels or Dodgers? You know, does he go up the coast to uh, San Francisco or maybe Seattle? I don't see him leaving the West Coast. I really don't. 
That'll be the number one. Now we'll see where guys go. Like a, like I said, a Blake Snell, uh, Josh Hader, uh, a Cody Bellinger's made himself a lot of money with the Cubs. Uh, see where he ends up as well. All right, Bob, this has been awesome. Uh, like I said, recorded this a little bit early. Um, you know, this, you know, tonight, wild card uh, start, playoffs start. Exciting. Always, always a fun time with October baseball happening. We'll do this again sometime. Uh, maybe have you on, maybe even later in the playoff uh, playoff run as, as, as things heat up here and we had, uh, you know, heading into the World Series. We'll have to have you on again. Can I give it like a, a little bit All of right. World Series? All right. My pleasure. Maybe. Take care, guys. Yeah. All right, Bob, right, we'll man. do this again sometime soon. Thanks again. Bye. All right, let's finish up with our intakes and outtakes of the week. Justin, we'll start with you. What's your intake of the week? My intake of the week is the New York Yankees, expecting to bring back Aaron Boone after finishing with the worst record since 1992. That's a per report tonight from New York by, uh, by SNY. But the Yankees... Very, very disappointing here. I knew this was the right. I knew they were going to do this. I knew they were going to bring back Aaron Boone and or Brian Cashman. And it looks like both are coming back. And it looks like for the Yankees, you'll be finishing in less than fourth place. Fourth or fifth place next year with the way this guy manages games, with the way Brian Cashman evaluates talent. This team can get it together. I know the analytics. You can use it. But this is not the right move by this Yankees organization. And it hasn't been the right move by the Yankees organization for the last 10 years. Let's be honest. Letting go of Joe Girardi was absolutely dumb. It was a dumb move by the Steinbrenners to let him go. I know he didn't do well with the Phillies, but Gary Sanchez actually played great with the Yankees. Aaron Judge played great, obviously. And then the Baby Bombers were supposed to be great, but they weren't. When Aaron Boone got here, and this team can't even call up their best prospects in the minors, is it because of Boone and Cashman, or is it because the Steinbrenners are meddling? But this Yankee team needs to change it up from the front office to the manager spot. Yeah, can you imagine spending all that money as the owner if you're the Yankees and not even making the playoffs? I mean... Just yeah. over 500 for the for wins for the season. I mean, obviously, the AL East is a really good division, unfortunately, for them. I mean, it's the only division, I think, that has three teams going to the playoffs. Actually, no, uh, NL East, too. Yes, Also does. Is. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, just, but still, I mean, right. to, make, to spend that much money and not even make the playoffs, uh, yeah, that's, that's really tough. And I would hate to be the owner in that situation. My uh, intake of the week, Dan Olofsky, today, uh, Monday, first take, uh, Bringing up the MVP conversation, never too early to be doing that, even after week four. Saying uh, Allen is the clear frontrunner to win the MVP right now. Way too early to tell, but Allen and Tua going into week four, where were the clear frontrunners between the two? And then Allen outdoled Tua uh, this past Sunday and took over uh, sole lead of that race. So yeah, mostly just... I just like the MVP conversation being brought up uh, sooner than later. I love it. I love talking about it and overreacting to every single week. And shout out to Dan Orlovsky for uh, getting it started for us in NFL this year. Zach, what is your intake of the week? So my intake of the week is going to be the Major League Baseball 
Time now dropped to two hours and 40 minutes in the first year of the pitch clock, which has resulted in a spike in batting average and the most stolen bases in nearly 40 years. Remember, they also had restrictions on defensive shifts. Uh, the bases were larger, and uh, average fastball velocity set another record as well. And I think what the big takeaway from this, the pitch clock is one of the best ideas that baseball's had in a long time. It's been pretty much universally praised, plus there's an attendance spike as well, one of the highest attended seasons, I think the highest attended season of all time. And part of that's because there's more playoff teams, so there's more teams that have something on the line late in the year. If your team has a chance, you're going to be more invested, obviously. So I think this has been a home run of a season, no pun intended, for Major League Baseball. With all the rule changes, it brings in a younger audience, and I, I think they should be patting themselves on the back yeah, for this. Total season. attendance up 9.6, just under 10%. Uh, from last year, and then uh, the average time uh, down 24 minutes from last year as well. So, yeah, much faster games, and that's what people want to see, especially in America. Let's move on. Outtakes of the week. Justin, here's your outtake of the week. My outtake of the week is these top 10 quarterbacks that were taken in the draft, and even top 10 quarterbacks that are not playing too well so far this year. Joe Burrow just gets a big contract. He isn't playing that well. Now, granted, he's hurt. Justin Herbert, he's 2-2. Two and two. Chargers basically should be 1-3, and three. and Brandon Staley is probably on the hot seat, obviously is on the hot seat. But another thing is, is it time to stop taking quarterbacks in the top 10 in the NFL draft with the way they're playing? I think it's a little bit – I think we should start taking quarterbacks late because you see Justin Fields blaming the offensive coordinator in Chicago – that's top 10 elitism right there. That's close to it. And guys like Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott were taken out of the top 10 in the first round, if exactly in the second and the fourth round for Hurts and Prescott and some of these other quarterbacks. But sometimes it might be a reach to take quarterbacks in the top 10. There's a lot of busts, but there's a lot of successes too, I'll be honest. Yeah, you're never going to stop. Teams are never going to stop picking quarterbacks in the top 10 because you pick the right guy, that changes your Right, and then you pay him so much money, and then sometimes these quarterback extensions, like Aaron Rodgers gets paid big money, doesn't work out. And, of course, you think that, Zach. I mean, Ohio State always has a QB going in the the first first round every year. Lucky, lucky. Yeah, but – yeah, try saying like, hey, to your fan base, we didn't draft Caleb Williams, but we got a really yeah, good offensive yeah. lineman. There, I do like the argument, though, uh, about, you know, you look at like, um, I mean, obviously he hasn't uh, played this year, but Will Levis, I mean, he's going to be able to develop way out of the radar. Uh, he's not going to have a whole lot of eyes on him, a whole lot of like uh, spotlight on him this year. He's going to be able to kind of just do his thing, be kind of quiet, and then, you know, maybe that's going to help him because I still think he's a good quarterback, and there's other examples this year as well, but. You know, it's all—it's all—it's almost like having not having a lot of expectations uh, helps you if you're a quarterback. And but I—I I mean, obviously, you have to take the best quarterback uh, in the draft every single year, though. I agree, Zach. My outtake of the week: um, R.J. Young released his new top twenty-five. Already talked about this uh, at length earlier in the show, guys. Uh, his top four, though: Michigan, Georgia, OSU, and Texas. Uh, I still think Texas should be number one, but Michigan is definitely more of an accept, accept, acceptable Agreed. number one than Georgia. Um, yeah, just you know, just shout out to RJ Young, uh, just releasing a top ten or yeah, you know, top twenty-five. Still, my outtake though, because Texas should not be number four. 
that's actually who he has as number four is Texas. Texas should actually be number one. Uh, and um, but yeah, give Texas should have just more respect overall. And that's why it's my outtake. Zach, who's your outtake of the week? Ooh, yeah, it's a tough one because I was going to say my outtake would be stop ranking Georgia number one, but uh, <laughs> we talked about that at length already. Uh, my outtake is going to be Mac Jones and the 2021 draft class outside of Trevor Lawrence, just simply not very good. I mean, Trey Lance is on his second team already with the Cowboys. Zach Wilson is what he is, despite his great game yesterday. Justin Fields is probably the second best quarterback in this class, and there are people that are ready to call him a bust because he really hasn't been as good especially throwing the ball as people kind of anticipated and then mac jones yesterday the good news for mac jones is he threw a touchdown pass the bad news was it was the dallas cowboys who he does not play for and so we've seen mac jones struggle and the patriots have just not been able to get it going since tom brady left but that draft class other than trevor lawrence is looking very shaky when they had six quarterbacks i believe picked in the top 15 and only one of them is an unquestioned success. Yeah, right no, I agree. Like we said, talked about that at length, uh, but I, I totally agree, Zach. Um, great show, guys. Uh, Thursday, have on somebody from Toronto. Still working out the details. Talk about Blue Jays. Like I said, wild card start, start tonight. Um, you know, Maple Leaves also only a month away until puck drop. And uh, yeah. Get, some, get into some Raptors too. So great interview coming up. Uh, but until then, we will do this all again, have more college football talk, give all of our previews for the week ahead, the Saturday ahead, and uh, everything else in between that happens in the sports world. But until then, keep on traveling, and we will see you Thursday.